Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. So I was, um, as I was studying this week and getting ready for what we're going to talk about this morning, I started thinking about um, some different um, words that we use but don't really understand. Um, And there's a lot of them really kind of in our English language because our language is kind of weird and it's tough to use. Um, If any of you are English teachers or something like hats off to you because the rules change all the time and it's hard to keep up really with what's going on. But there's words that we use that I think we just don't understand. A few examples would be the word irregardless. Um, You know that's not a word, right? (laughs) Irregardless is not a word. Regardless of how you got there, that's not a word. Um, There's another word uh, that we use a lot, etc. Anybody actually know what etc means? No, we don't, right? We just kind of tag it on. It's the ETC at the end. It actually, it's it's Latin. ET means and, and cetera means the other things. That's what that word means. So etc means and the other things. Um, Then there's the word literally. And that's probably the one that's abused the most, isn't it? Literally means something is exact and without exaggeration. And we'll say things like, that literally blew my mind, you know? And it's like, I don't know that it did, you know? I think you, I think you used that wrong. And so today we're going to look at um, maybe an idea or a concept to some of us uh, that's very real um, that we maybe just don't understand. And a lot of it comes down to some language that we're going to break down this morning. That's where we're headed. So if you have a Bible, open it with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. So last week, um, if you're with us, I know a lot of you were out with spring break and and whatnot, but in, in John chapter 14, Jesus tells us that he has to leave. Well, I guess he tells the disciples. That's, he's telling them that he has to leave. He, he, he says, I'm leaving and where I'm going, you can't come with me yet. Right. He, he tells them, that and, and we looked at how he brought them comfort in that moment, how they were anxious, how they were scared, how they were confused. And this is the same scene today, all right? Just the conversation has now gone a little bit further. That's where we're picking up this morning. So still in the same scene of Jesus saying he's leaving, the disciples being confused and, and scared and all of those different things. But in this passage, just before our main text in verse 18, Jesus says, but I'm not gonna leave you as orphans. I'm not going to just leave you as orphans. And what he says in this passage is that he's going to be replaced by the counselor. That's that's what he says. And and that's a Greek word. Um, Greek word is paraclete. And we're going to talk all about that today because it's hard to understand, just like the words that I mentioned just a second ago that that may be tough to understand. But but what he's talking about there is the Holy Spirit. Okay? So we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit today. Before we do, I think we need to pray and, um, and ask God to, to open our eyes and help us understand. So I'll pray for all of us. You pray for yourself right now. God, would you just um, be with us now as we open your word, as we, as we dive into uh, this discussion? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just be thick in this room, that you would uh, just illuminate the text for us, help us to see, help us to understand, help us to see Jesus and help us to follow you. God, would you be with us now? Would you speak? 
We don't want to hear anything that I have to say. We want to hear directly from you. So I'm asking that you would do that and that we would have ears to hear. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right, so we are going to talk about the Holy Spirit today. And uh, maybe you're uncomfortable with that. <laughs> maybe it's, uh, it's something that you're just unfamiliar with. I think as Baptists, we get a little weird talking about the Holy Spirit, don't we? Um, we're, we're just not really sure what to do with him. I think if I were to ask a majority of Southern Baptist people who attend uh, often and say, hey, explain to me God the Father, I think you would have a lot of things to probably say, right? Explain to me Jesus. Explain to me God the Son. I think you would probably have a lot of things to say. But if I said, explain to me the Holy Spirit, you might not have as much to say, right? We just kind of treat the Holy Spirit kind of like our crazy uncle that's just, he, he's out there and we're just not going to talk about him. You know what I mean? Like, he just kind of does some stuff. We don't really understand it, so let's, let's just not talk about him. Francis Chan wrote a really popular book called Forgotten God on the topic of the Holy Spirit being the neglected God of the Trinity, right? And so it is, it is a thing in, in our world. Um, I saw a stat this week from the Barna Group, and they do a lot of Christian studies, and they actually said this. They found through a study that nearly 60% all right, nearly 60% of Americans who regularly attend Christian church. So these aren't the people who just show up just like once or twice a year. These are people who are regularly attending. 60% of them say there's no such thing as the Holy Spirit. They say that the Holy Spirit is just a symbol of God's power or presence or purity. That means that a majority of regularly attending Christians are outside of traditional orthodox beliefs, people who don't understand who God is, don't understand how we're saved, don't understand how we actually fulfill the Great Commission and the things that he's placed before us. Like, do you understand that, that you aren't saved outside of the Holy Spirit's work in your life? You understand that? Like, without the Holy Spirit opening your eyes to your sin problem, opening your eyes to who Jesus is, drawing you to him, you're not a Christian. You don't just decide that on your own. It's the Holy Spirit drawing you. Do you understand that, that without the presence and, and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you are completely incapable of, of fulfilling God's mission for your life? You're completely incapable of living out the great commission outside of the Holy Spirit working in your life. Acts 1.8 says... As Jesus was leaving, he said, you're going to receive power when the Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. So without the Spirit's working in your life, you can't live out his mission for your life, right? And so this is a, 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 something that we, we really need to discuss if 60% of people don't understand that the Holy Spirit is very real and active in our lives. And I just need to say that this isn't going to be an exhaustive study on the Holy Spirit, on pneumatology. That's what the study of the Holy Spirit is. Pneuma uh, is, is the Greek word for breath or spirit. That's where we get pneumatology. Um, think of pneumonia being, being breath. It starts with a P. And, and so that's what it is. This isn't an exhaustive study of pneumatology. I, I'm more interested in us seeing him for who he is in your life and, and to do so, uh, we need to probably lay a couple of foundational pieces uh, as we enter into this conversation. So uh, just a few things, all right? Again, not exhaustive study of the Holy Spirit, but just a few initial things that you need to understand. Um, he is a he, not an it, and he is a person, okay? The Holy Spirit is a person. He is a he, not an it. So we don't say uh, it, uh, it 
the spirit, like it did this in my life or whatever, it's, it's he. He is the distinct third person of the, of the Trinity. I Meaning you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is fully God, just as the Father is, just as the Son is, meaning he is equal. He's not last place. He's not down at the bottom of the list. He's not just the vehicle in which we get to the Father. He is fully God, meaning that he deserves worship and honor and praise and, and communion, right? And the Holy Spirit is not a feeling. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's not just a feeling, right? He, he's a person who's been active since the very first page of your Bible. Genesis 1-2 talks about the Spirit was hovering over the waters of creation, right? And so he's not a feeling. He's a person. And so we can't ignore the Holy Spirit just because we're uncomfortable with things uh, that are maybe associated with him that we don't understand, things like speaking in tongues or dreams or prophecies or all these things that I would say are probably abused in most cases today. We can't sidestep the conversation just because we don't understand those things. So sure, the Holy Spirit does some stuff, but he is God, and that's where we're gonna focus today. Not so much on all the things that he does, but who he is and how that brings us comfort. That's the context of this text, all right? So, that's some groundwork. John chapter 14, just gonna look at two verses and we'll discuss it. Verse 25, Jesus says, I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. That's, that's where we're going to spend our time. That's where we're going to uh, camp out here. Verse 25 really just kind of sets the context. He's, I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you. Again, just continuing on the conversation we had last week that Jesus is saying, I'm leaving, um, but I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm leaving one with you. I'm going to leave the counselor, is what he calls the Holy Spirit here, the counselor. And again, the Greek word is a Greek word, paraclete, not parakeet, not pair of cleats, Paraclete, all right? And that word is tough to understand. It's, it's an interesting word because it's only used by John, right? In the New Testament, only John, the writer John, is the only one that uses it. He uses it here in this book, but also in um, his later writings as well. But because he's the only one that uses it, it's kind of tough to nail down a, a precise definition of the word. That's why uh, several translations handle that word differently. They call him uh, the counselor here in the CSB, but other translations call him something different. And if you have a different translation than the CSB, you probably see something different there, right? And so I, th I thought this would be an interesting conversation just for a second on different translations. Well, how do we know which translation that we should use? I've got a graph here. If you could put that up for me, pretty please with sugar on top. Can you put up that graph of, there we go. Voila, look at the magic work. Thank you. Okay, so different translations. Um, you, you want to find a translation, an English translation. So for the first few hundred years, the only translation we had was the King James Version. As language progressed, as scholarship progressed, modern translations came about, okay? And so that's why we have several different translations. They're all translating from the Hebrew, the Greek, the Aramaic, trying to get it in the most accurate as we can. You want something that is, um, down here on the bottom, you see the, the literal. You want it to be as close to the text as possible. 
but you also want it to be readable. <laughs> like you want it to be something that you can understand. And so what you do is you just try and find the one that is best for you. I will say uh, we use the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, and this chart was done by them. And so it is obviously biased, right? <laughs> It says optimal, right, for the CSB. And I think it's a good translation. That's why we use it. But you may see something here that you use. So the NLT, for example, great readable translation. I like to use it um, for various purposes. But you see how it's not quite as far along on the exact um, meaning of the text scale. Does that make sense? What I would say on translation is find the one that you enjoy reading most Find one that you're actually going to get into and read, and find one that you're most comfortable with, right? We use the CS, CSB, but again, several translations, they handle this text differently, or they handle that word paraclete differently, and so I thought what we could do is actually look at, all, at several of them, and in order to understand or get a well-rounded picture of what this word paraclete means, we can look um, at several translations. All right, so if you would put that verse back up there, otherwise people are just going to study my chart this whole time. So the first word, um, the, the first way that, that I think we, we see um, the, the Greek word paraclete translated, in, again, in the CSB, it's counselor. In the King James, the Greek, or the word that they use is comforter. Comforter. So King James says, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, bring all things to your remembrance, what, whatsoever I have said unto you. So again, remember the context of, of this passage. Remember what's happening. They're worried, they're anxious, they're scared because Jesus just told them that he's leaving. And, and so the way that the King James translates paraclete is helpful, that he is the comforter, the one who comes in and brings comfort. Have you ever received like a care package or something like that uh, from somebody? I remember one time I was a freshman in college, just scared out of my mind, missing home and all of that, you know, just homesick. And uh, one day I got a care package from my parents. It came to my dorm and it had all kinds of stuff. It had some candy, it had some ramen noodles because that's what you eat in college, you know, and um, had all kinds of stuff. And I just remember just getting that care package in a moment where I was just missing home, just feeling like nobody even knew me, you know. Getting that care package meant everything, you know. I'm like in my dorm room, just like, just so happy and excited that, they, that somebody on the outside remembered me, you know. That's what comfort does. Comfort's kind of a weird thing. Like, it's a strange thing. It's a wonderful thing. That in a, in a tragic situation or the loss of a loved one, just somebody being there sure helps a whole lot, doesn't it? You know, just, just their presence of someone being there or getting a care package and somebody remembering you. Like your situation didn't change, but the fact that someone remembers you is comforting. And that's the idea here. Jesus is leaving, but it says that the Father is going to send comfort. He's gonna send comfort. That's what, that's what the verse says, that, that the Spirit will be sent by the Father. Whenever I think of the Father sending comfort, I think of how the Scripture talks about the Father sends good gifts, you know, that, that He sends good gifts to us. In fact, that's how Luke describes Him, Luke eleven thirteen. It's that passage that says, if you who are evil know how to give your kids good gifts. You remember that passage? 
He says, if you who are evil know how to give your children good gifts, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit? Did you know that that's what that text says? It doesn't say how much, how much better gifts does he give. His good gift is the Holy Spirit. And so he, the father, sends the Holy Spirit and, and the Spirit is a good gift that brings comfort to our lives. So we don't need to be afraid of him. <laughs> Right? We don't need to, to get weird about the Spirit. In fact, I would say whatever you're facing right now in life, have comfort that, that the Spirit of God is with you, right? bringing comfort to you. So the King James translates paraclete as comforter. The second uh, word that um, is used, the NIV and the NLT, maybe you have one of those, they translate the word paraclete into the word advocate, Advocate, And I think that's helpful. The NLT says, but when the father sends the advocate as my representative, okay? The advocate as my representative, Jesus is talking, that is the Holy Spirit. He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. This is helpful because it does say there in the CSB that the counselor will come in my name. And that's what an advocate is. An advocate is a legal term. Right? So if you've ever watched a, a legal show with, with a courtroom setting or whatnot, uh, you know how the, the, the lawyer will stand up and he will talk on behalf of the one who's on trial. Like the one who's on trial doesn't really speak. It's the advocate. It's the one who's standing there speaking in place of the one who is on trial, right? They represent them. That's, that's the picture here when, when using the word advocate. Jesus says that, that the counselor, the advocate is gonna come in my name. What Jesus is saying is that the Holy Spirit is his representative, standing in his place, all right? If you back up in chapter 14 to verse 16, it says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor. Another counselor, meaning that the disciples already had one. They already had a paraclete. They already had an advocate. In fact, that's how John, the writer here in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he calls Jesus our advocate the one who stands in the gap for us, the one who represents us. And so what this passage is saying is Jesus was the paraclete, he was the advocate for the disciples here on earth. And now the spirit is gonna be another advocate, another counselor, another paraclete that is gonna take his place here on this earth. And so the spirit would be, don't, don't miss it, right? The spirit would be for us now what Jesus was for the disciples when he walked on the earth as close as he was with his disciples, as, as tangible as he was, that is what the Spirit is for us now. John 16, seven, Jesus actually tells his disciples this. He says, it's for your benefit that I go away. In this whole conversation of he's leaving, he says, it's actually better for you that I go away because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. Why would Jesus say that it is for our benefit that the Holy Spirit takes his place. Why would he say that? I think in order to understand, we, we need to understand the Spirit's work in Jesus' life. Right? The Spirit's work in Jesus' life. During Jesus' time on earth, the Holy Spirit empowered Jesus. Did you know that? The Holy Spirit empowered Jesus. So at Jesus' baptism moment, 
the moment where his earthly ministry began, Mark 1.10 says this, as soon as Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. So in that moment, the spirit comes, dwells in Jesus, and then throughout Jesus's ministry, the Holy Spirit is the one working and moving through Jesus and empowering him on this earth. Luke chapter four, verse 18, it's this, it's this cool moment where Jesus walks into the synagogue and he, and he takes a scroll and he starts reading from the book of Isaiah, this prophecy that would be about Jesus being empowered by the spirit. Right? Luke chapter four, verse 18. Jesus takes the scroll, like try and picture this. He takes the scroll and he reads this. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. Like this is just this mic drop moment of Jesus in the synagogue saying that the spirit is on me. And everything that I'm doing, opening blind eyes, proclaiming the Lord's coming, all of that is through the spirit's work in my life. Not only in his ministry was the spirit active, but also in his resurrection. In Jesus' resurrection, the Spirit is fully empowering Jesus in that moment. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring, to, bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. And so throughout Jesus' life, his ministry, his resurrection, the Holy Spirit is empowering Jesus here on this earth. And then there's a cool moment at the end of John, John chapter 20, verse 22, where Jesus, before he leaves, he gives the Holy Spirit to his disciples. And this is what it says, John chapter 20, verse 22. After saying this, Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So here's, here's the point. The same Spirit that empowered Jesus' ministry and resurrection lives in you. It lives in you. Uh, John chapter 14, again, verse 16, it, it says that there's another counselor who's gonna be with you. He's the spirit of truth. The, the world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and in you. Like, did, you did you hear that? The spirit of God, the same spirit that empowered everything Jesus did on this earth is now with you and in you. Paul says in Romans 8, 11, that the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, right? And so Francis Chan, he says it this way, that the Holy Spirit is not just a supplement to our lives. He is the very life of God within us. That's why Jesus would say that it's better for him to leave so that the Holy Spirit would come and be with us and in us. And so the question to ask yourself is, are you living in that truth? Are you living in that truth? Can you say that the Holy Spirit is present in your life and is as tangible as Jesus was in the life of his disciples? Do you see the Spirit working in your life? Finally, the last way that the word paraclete is, is translated that we're gonna look at this morning 
The New American Standard or the ESV, if you have one of those, translates the word paraclete as helper. Helper. ESV says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I think that that translation into our word helper, I think that's helpful because it says that the Holy Spirit is going to teach us and remind us of everything that Jesus has said. See, the, the Holy Spirit is a helper because he helps point us to Jesus. He helps point us to Jesus. So in the context of this passage, he was pointing the disciples to Jesus, right? That, that Jesus is saying, like the immediate context is he's telling the disciples, the Holy Spirit's gonna come and be with you and in you, and he's gonna teach you and he's gonna remind you everything that I have told you. So he's talking to the ones who are going to write most of the New Testament. He's telling them that, that the Spirit is going to be with you, teaching you, and reminding you. And don't you think it's interesting, like as we've been in this study of John, over and over again, um, as he's telling us a story, John will almost pause and narrate the story. And he'll say, after his resurrection, we remembered what he was talking about here in this scene. Do you, you remember him doing some stuff like that? That's, that's this happening. That's the Spirit reminding him of who Jesus is, what he came to do. It happens all throughout the book of John. But more than just the book of John, the Holy Spirit is the author of all of Scripture, working through the human writers. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is God-breathed. There's that word pneuma again, that God, all scripture is breathed out by God, that the, the Holy Spirit inspired every single word, breathing through the human writers. That means that we can trust the scriptures. We can, we can trust this. This isn't just some random collection by a bunch of ancient dudes. This is, this is the Spirit breathing through them to get exactly on page what he intended to be on page. It is inspired. It's inerrant. It's infallible word, and we can trust it, that the Spirit of God breathed this out so you can bank your life on it, right? That back then, the Holy Spirit was teaching them, reminding them of everything Jesus was doing, that he was pointing them to Jesus. But now, for us, you have the Holy Spirit with you and in you doing the same thing, pointing you to Jesus. Pointing you to Jesus. This is what we would call the, the work of illumination. Remember a couple of weeks ago talking about shining a spotlight. It's time for Jesus to be in the spotlight, him, for him to be glorified. This is, this is the work of the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit illuminates Jesus, makes, makes things bright, and, and us able to see what he's doing. John 15, 26 says, when the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. That's what Jesus is saying that the Spirit is coming to do, to testify about Jesus. So throughout the Bible, the Holy Spirit doesn't take the spotlight and shine it on himself. Instead, he is always pointing the spotlight at Jesus. Right? He's always pointing the spotlight at Jesus. And so we see that in our lives in, in a few ways. First, and primarily in salvation. Right? Again, that we are not saved outside of the work of the Spirit's work in our lives of him illuminating our sin and illuminating Jesus and, and who he is. Like we don't just decide to follow Jesus on our own, that the spirit is the agent of salvation. 
that the, the Father, he, he purposed salvation. Salvation was um, accomplished by Jesus, but it was applied by the Holy Spirit. That's how we would talk about it, right? And so if you were a Christian, it's because the Holy Spirit pointed you to Jesus. And maybe you're here and you've been kind of wrestling with this idea of should I follow Jesus or not. It's, it's this prompting of the Holy Spirit in your life, illuminating your sin, illuminating Jesus and his work for you. That he lived a life that you couldn't live. That he lived a perfect life. That he came to be the mediator between you and heaven. He died a death that you should have died. He went to a cross and he died. And then he rose from the dead. And when he does, he offers you life. And maybe the Holy Spirit is prompting you now to say, that's truth. That's truth and you need it, right? That's what the Holy Spirit does. He points us to Jesus not only in our salvation, but also as we read the word. The Holy Spirit illuminates the word for us. You ever feel just like, you sit down to read and you just feel lost or just locked up and like, man, I just, I, I don't know what's happening here at all. It's just, nothing's making sense. You may be leaving the Holy Spirit out of the equation. <laughs> that, that the Spirit is sitting there with you, reading with you. Have you ever just heard somebody explain the Bible or, or, or explain a, a text and you're thinking, are we even reading the same book? Because like you're picking up stuff. I'm not, that's because we don't rightly understand the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit uh, illuminates the text for us. So I want to encourage you, try praying something very simply. Just, Spirit, would you show me? <laughs> would you reveal things here to me? Would you help me see? Would you help me see Jesus? Would you help me follow you? Every week as I'm doing sermon prep, I pretty much pray three, three prayers along the process. Spirit, would you show me what this text means? And then when I get into starting to write, Spirit, would you help me write this? And then Sunday mornings, the Spirit, would you help me deliver this, you know? Because it's through the Spirit that all this just unlocks. And he opens our eyes and he points us to Jesus. So not only reading the Word, but also just as we walk through life. The Spirit is at, at work in our lives, pointing us to Jesus as we walk through this life. And as we're walking through life, he's sitting there going, nope, <laughs> that's, that's not what Christ would do. Don't, don't do that. Walk over here instead. He's guiding our lives. He's pointing us and by default those around us to Jesus. And he helps us. And he forms us into the likeness of Christ. This, this passage here talking about the counselor coming to be our helper and be with us and in us, there's a whole lot about it that's talking about if you love me, you'll keep my commands. That's what Jesus is saying. It, it, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Verse 21, the one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Verse 23, Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. The problem is we have no capacity to do that outside of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We just, we can't do that on our own. But in him, man, we are set free to live out Christ's calling and to cause a lot of problems for the kingdom of darkness that's in this world. And that's our purpose right? That is our purpose as a church. And so the Holy Spirit also works in our church and points us to Jesus. If the church is going to remain relevant and effective, it will only be through the power of the Holy Spirit, not through our own skill, not through our own plans. Francis Chan says the church becomes irrelevant when it becomes purely a human creation. So the Holy Spirit points us to Jesus and empowers our ministry in this world. 
And so, as we, as we close this morning, um, this word paraclete, again, is, is kind of tough to define. But I think by, by looking at how these other translators actually handle it, it helps us to form kind of a, a, a better picture of, of who the Holy Spirit is and the comfort that he brings to our life, that he is the good counselor. He's the one who brings comfort from the Father. He's the one who steps in as the advocate to take Jesus' place on this earth. And he's the helper who teaches and reminds and points us to Jesus. That's who he is. He's the counselor. He's the comforter. He's the advocate. He's the helper that we need. There's, a, there's another kind of translation. You've got to be careful with it. It's more of a paraphrase by Eugene Peterson called The Message. And the message paraphrase um, refers to, to the counselor, to the paraclete, as the friend, as the friend. And I, I love that. I, I, think, I think that that's great, that he is close, that he's with you. He's there when you need him. And maybe, maybe that's what you need right now. Like maybe you're here and you do, you feel distant feel distant from God. Maybe you feel um, like a failure. Maybe you feel like you're just kind of bumbling your way through this whole Christianity thing, just can't seem to get it right. I think so many of us struggle in our Christian walk because we don't understand that there is a helper, that there's a friend, that there's a comforter, that there's an advocate who is with you and in you. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.